0: Uh, We are now firmly in the middle of this January sermon series that we're calling A Time to Remember. A Time to Remember. And it's a season where where we are revisiting that which God is calling us to in our lives, both individually and as a church. And Stephen Nosworthy, thank you so much for preaching last week. Started us off with a great message last week. If you haven't, if you weren't here last Sunday, I would encourage you to go back and listen because Pastor Nosworthy, retired Pastor Nosworthy, um, shared with us just a great challenge as we consider and review 2022 to think about 2023. We talk about, he talked about refocusing, that God is great, that God is good, and that we are called to put our hope In the Lord. These are excellent and perfect words as we start this series and this conversation and we move forward in the future. So, then my task over the next several weeks becomes to point us to our calling, to point us to what God is calling us to as we revision, as we seek to grow in the season of evaluation, as we refocus. And today we start with Colossians chapter 3. Uh, verses 1 through 4. And we're going to talk about what it means to be made alive in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to pull up your Bible app, you are welcome to do that. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. But we are going to start with baptism today. And it might be a bit of a curious start, but I really think this is actually the perfect way for us to think about this idea of being made alive in Christ, is to talk about baptism. Now, um, when I was first in ministry, A very young pastor, I will never forget the very first time someone asked me to baptize them, to preside over their baptism. I don't think you forget many of your baptisms. It's such a great celebration, a special moment, but especially when it's your first time being asked to baptize somebody. And I was in my younger 20s, and we had a young woman who had went through the youth ministry, probably through our confirmation program. She had committed her life to Jesus, and she asked me to baptize her. And I'm like, that would be fantastic. So we had a conversation about it. We talked with their family about it. And at the church I served at the time, um, it was a very large congregation, a very large sanctuary, probably a sanctuary that sat, let's say 600 people. So big, big room, okay? And the stage itself was about four or five steps high. So you had to walk up to it. And then the baptismal font was sort of up in the middle and it went down into the stage. So anytime the pastor baptize somebody you'd only really see the pastors you know waist and up right and there was a very unique kind of situation so there i am standing in the baptismal font i'm in my younger 20s and i'm explaining to our congregation the theological background of why we baptize people And the young woman who was about to be baptized is standing off to my left where the stairs came down into the baptismal font. And in that church, they wore white robes when they were about to be baptized. She had her sponsor with her, which I think was her mom. And it was this wonderful celebration moment. And as I'm explaining baptism, and at some point in that explanation, I reach out my hand and I invite her to come down into the baptism, baptism pool with me And she takes a step, and almost as if in a movie, in slow motion, she slips, okay? And it wasn't one of those like three-inch slips where you're like, whoa, that was kind of scary. It was full-on both feet launch up into the air, and she is almost instantly horizontal with the ground and falling. And without even thinking, I reach over in the water and catch her. Okay? Now, I'm going to pause the story for a minute because in telling this story over the years, I have elaborated. I have, I have made it a grander story than it, and it should have been. You know, it's kind of like a fishing story when you think, hey, I caught a fish this big and it gets bigger over time. I mean, we laughed about this. I said, you know, I caught her and then baptized her all in one motion, but that's not actually what happened. I was actually able to catch her and kind of keep her from falling and then bring her into the pool. And we all celebrated because she could have been hurt. But both feet slipped out. And oh, it was one of those unbelievable moments where after we all settled down, she came in and we had this wonderful and beautiful moment where I said, do you wish to be baptized today? She said, yes. Do you confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? She said, yes. And then I baptized her. And it was a beautiful, beautiful moment that I'll never forget. And it could have been Tragic in some, way, in some ways. But it's interesting when we think about baptism because we all probably have some story with our own baptism. Or the baptism of somebody that's been very, very close to us. Probably most of us in this room have some experience with being baptized. And it's probably been very, very special to us in our lives. And baptism is such an important part of who we are as believers. In the covenant church, we call it a sacrament. It's one of our two celebrated sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism, in that we celebrate that God is the primary actor, that God is the one that makes baptism so unique and special and so significant, that God is doing something so wonderfully celebratory. And in the covenant church, we actually practice baptism in a very unique way, different than many, many denominations. We actually baptize babies, and we also have a believer's baptism. The theology around it, we won't get into today. That's not really what this sermon is about. But we celebrate believer's baptism and infant baptism, neither of which are a baptism of salvation. It is a public confession, a public expression of an inward faith. That's what our baptism is. And the power in baptism is this unbelievable confession that our bodies make when we are baptized. Think about this for a minute. When you're baptized, and I think New City last year had a baptism up here, and I can't wait for that time when we get to celebrate that together as well. But in baptism, when the pastor lowers you into the water, you're being buried in the water, right? As if you're being associated and buried with the death of Christ. Christ crucified, dead, and buried in the tomb. Stone rolled in front of the tomb. Buried, taking on the sin of the world, creating a way for salvation. And we are buried with Christ in the water in our baptism. And similarly then, we are raised from the dead out of the water and made alive in Christ. This is the power of of baptism. It is a living example of the gospel of Jesus. It is an example of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And baptism is a very interesting place as we consider Colossians chapter 3. It says this, if you're in your Bibles, read with me Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. It says this, living as those made alive in Christ. Since then, you With him in glory. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. As we have been raised with Christ, we are called to set our minds on things above. So let's dig into this text. And as always, we ask, what do we know? Well, let's look at the context of chapter 3 as we look at the book of Colossians, which was written by Paul to the church in a small city in Asia Minor called Colossae. Um, Paul wrote this letter mainly to address um, to address Christian living, uh, Christian living, and warn against false beliefs. Many of the topics that Paul engaged in in the New Testament epistles, he was talking about and against false belief. And in fact, in the first two chapters of Colossians, Paul is dealing with two very distinct false doctrines that were very specific to this day and age, but we see so much in the world that we live in today. The first one was known as Gnosticism. Everybody say Gnosticism. You've probably heard this before. It's a nice, big, fancy term. Gnosticism, I'll explain it a little bit more in a second. But the second one that Paul was addressing was also legalism. Now, towards the end of the first century, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, this Narrative of Jesus, the Son of God, being crucified, dead and buried and resurrected, Um, the true church, the body of Christ, was being suppressed and slowly engulfed by this religious movement called Gnosticism. And one of the condemning features of Gnosticism is that it combined certain elements of Christianity, the, the way of Jesus, with what was known as the mystery religions. These mysteries involved secret societies. They involved secret rituals. Um, There was like an ascent to levels of understanding. And there was these strange practices that Gnosticism celebrated called gripping religious ecstasy. And being possessed by the God. So there was this kind of intellectual ascent to being saved. That's what Gnosticism brought. And Paul spoke out against it as a false doctrine all the time. And then, of course, Paul, at the end of chapter 2, right before Colossians 3, he spends time addressing the legalism that was starting to creep up in the New Testament world. And legalism, of course, is a dependence on a moral law or religious code on individual action rather than on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the religious commitment that we make through faith. And Paul's message was incredibly clear that these false believers who brought forward these legalistic views, this Gnostic mindset, that they were a false brand of spirituality. Why? This is very important. Because none of what they offered could produce any transformative work against the flesh. Nothing could suppress the flesh like being transformed in Jesus Christ. So in chapter 3 then, Paul is making a transition showing how Christians have the opportunity to live right with God, to be righteous. And so Paul is pointing the church not with a heretical legalism, not with some sort of philosophy like Gnosticism or any sort of focus on rules or regulation, but rather Paul is focusing on the risen Christ and his work in our lives. And this is the theme of today's message, that we have the opportunity to live Lives that are focused on the risen Christ in our lives. The work that God has done, the risen Christ, the change that has come about in that transformative work, that is what Paul is calling us to. So in chapter 3, Paul is focusing on practical Christian living, and it's built on the foundation of a theological truth. That is what we believe about God. And the way that we live our lives is rooted, hear this, in the way that we think and in the way that we see the world and how we see ourselves in the world. We have a real and vital identification with Christ in both his death and his resurrection. And this causes us to think about things above. And this is where the imagery of baptism is so strong for us today because in Colossians chapter 2 as well as in chapter 3 we see Paul use baptism as an example for our own death and resurrection in Jesus Christ. Now think about this for a moment. Can we imagine that Jesus, who lived 33 years on the earth, was crucified, dead, and buried, and resurrected? Can we imagine that Jesus' life wouldn't have changed after the resurrection? Of course it did. Of course, Christ's life changed after he was resurrected from the grave. Certainly, there were some similarities, but everything changed. Jesus left the tomb. He didn't live the same life anymore. He was resurrected, and friends, neither should we. Because we, those that follow Jesus, were raised with Christ, and we should act just as Jesus did When he was resurrected, after his resurrection, Jesus left the tomb. He left those things, those grave clothes that they had wrapped him in. He left the place of death. He left that which bound him back from living with his Father in heaven. He left the tomb, and so should we leave those things that are bondage-making things in our past things that have kept us in a sort of death tomb mindset. We need to leave those things as Christ has left those things. We don't live there anymore because we follow the resurrected Jesus. After Jesus' resurrection, he spent time, um, he spent his remaining time being with and ministering to his disciples. And so should we live our lives to be with and serve one another, raising up a generation of Jesus-following children and youth and loving the opportunity to be in community with one another. After his resurrection, Jesus lived in a supernatural power with the ability to do the impossible. And so should we, with the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. We should expect the miraculous things are going to happen, not only in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us as we pray and seek to give God the glory. After his resurrection, Jesus looked forward to heaven, knowing he would soon enough ascend there. And so should we, recognizing that our citizenship is not of this world, that our citizenship is in heaven. Chapter 3 of Colossians says, Set your mind on things above. Christian living comes from minds that are fixed on heaven. We realize that our lives are now hidden with Christ and God, and since Jesus is enthroned in heaven, our thoughts and our hearts are connected to heaven also. We are called to seek things above, and this word seek is so important to this conversation. It marks our aspirations. It marks our desires. It marks our passions. In order to seek these things, our minds must be set on things above. And it leads to an evaluation question for all of us. What are our aspirations? What are those things that we pursue? Are they things on earth? Are they things in heaven? We are called to love heavenly things, to study them, to let our hearts be engrossed by them. We used to put our primary passions and pursuit on earthly things our pre-Jesus day. But once we committed our lives to the Jesus way, we now set our mind on the values of heaven. I'm not saying that all earthly things are evil, but some of them are. Especially those things that take the place of those things of God. The kingdom values that Jesus came to establish. Those are the things that we are called to set our minds We are called to set our minds and our hearts on the things above, and it is a beautiful calling. You died with Christ and are raised again in life with Jesus. In another place, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, for me to live is in Christ. What a great mantra, a scripture for us to bear in our lives, in every day of our lives. What are you known for? When people say, well, I know this person, what do they say about you? Sometimes we say, well, that person is such a great musician, or they're such a great athlete, or they give their lives to their work, or they're, they're known for loving their children. All good things, but we are called to be known to be Jesus followers. People who set our mind on things above. So how do we apply this? How does this impact our lives today in this season, in this time, in this space, both in our lives individually? And what about as a church community? How does this calling to be made alive in Christ impact the focus of this new season? And as we begin this year, I want to introduce you to an interesting word that some of you probably have heard before, maybe even engaged at a deeper level, but maybe this is the first time you've ever heard it, and it's the word Sankofa. Has anybody ever heard this word before? Raise your hand for me. Sankofa. So the word Sankofa is a word from what is known as the Aiken tribe in Ghana, Africa. It means, hear this now, it means this. So Sankofa. San means to return. Ko means to go. And fa means to fetch, seek, and take. Sankofa. San means to return. Ko means to go, and fa means to fetch, seek, and take. Sankofa attests, hear this, that we must look back to our history before we can move forward. That we must spend significant time, do the work to look at what our lives have been in the last year or last three years, to look and learn from those lessons before we can move forward. I've had a very um, significant experience with this idea of Sankofa. Um, Some of you might be aware that in the Covenant Church, the denomination of which New City is connected to, we actually have a discipleship immersion experience called the Sankofa Journey, and it centers around racial reconciliation. And this Sankofa experience is one of the most significant discipleship journeys that I've ever been on in my life. This journey usually begins in Chicago somewhere where 30 to 40 people gather together. We meet at covenant offices and you get on a coach bus. And that coach bus over the next three days takes you on a historical journey through the civil rights movement. And what's so wonderful about it and so challenging is that you're faced with these different um, historical milestones of the civil rights movement and you have a partner. And that partner is usually someone who comes from a different Ethnic perspective than you. And so you're having these significant conversations with your different upbringings, thinking about deep discipleship, Jesus impact moments in our lives as we reflect on the pain and the celebration of American history as it relates to the civil rights movement. Now, this photo up here is a picture of a dear friend of mine that many of you probably recognize. His name is Kevin Farmer. Kevin is the pastor at Epiphany Covenant Church in Minneapolis that meets at Hope Academy. And Kevin was my partner on the first Sankofa journey that I went on some like eight, nine years ago. And here we are at the Lorraine Motel, which is where Martin Luther King was assassinated. And so Kevin and I, after, you know, really exhausting bus ride, we got to sit and experience this space. Oh, can we bring that picture back up, Jeff? We got to sit and experience this space where... Kevin was able to explain to me how significant to his faith this moment in history really was. And as a white male who had grown up in the suburbs of the Twin Cities, it was a bit different for me, right? And I really believe that our relationship, this Sankofa experience, helped me to go deeper in my life with Christ. Because together, we looked back to move forward. Because God is a God of reconciliation. God is a God that loves to see the multi-ethnic narrative in the church expand. And Kevin was, and still is, a dear friend. In fact, we had golf balls on Friday. It was just fantastic to reconnect with him and to hear how ministry is going and to let him breathe into my life. We sankofa together. I don't think it's a verb, but I'm gonna use it as that in this situation. So this idea of Sankofa, listen, teaches us to look back as we move forward especially as we consider this idea of being made alive in Christ. We must consider the past to move forward in the present, and we strive then to set our minds on things above. Now, as I close today, I want to give you two application questions or statements to consider as I encourage you to engage this idea of Sankofa, to look back and to begin to move forward because... We always say this, the best thing that we can give one another is the healthiest version of ourselves. It's the best thing we can give those people that are seeking to find Jesus. So we do that individually, but we also do it as a community. And there's two things that I want you to consider as we look back to move forward. And the first one is this, some things in your past must be retained. They must be kept. Now, some of you have closets full of old clothes, right? Some of you have been buying, uh, some of us, I should say, have been buying clothes for a long time, but we haven't thrown out the old clothes, right? Some of us have went through that process of going through our old closets of clothes, and we know there's things that we just need to get rid of, we never wear. You might even have a sweater in there from 30 years ago that still sits there. It might be time to get rid of it, right? My wife's smiling because she always is telling me, get rid of your old clothes before you buy new. That's her mantra in life, right? But that's true. When we go to clean out our closets, there's oftentimes things in there that we got to get rid of, but we just don't want to. But when you go to clean out that closet, isn't it interesting how you find two, three, four things that you're like, I will never get rid of this item. You know, for me, I've got a hat in my closet that was my dad's right? I'll never get rid of that. It's too valuable to me. I'll never wear it, but it means something to me because my dad passed away three years ago, right? I've got a really nice blazer that I don't wear very often, but I'm never going to get rid of it it because I love it. I've got the tuxedo that I wore when I played in the wind ensemble in college. I don't know if it fits anymore, but I'm never going to get rid of it because it's my tuxedo, right? It's valuable to me. But there are some things you do need to get rid of. But in the closet... As you look back and clean out sort of the closet of your life, January is a great time to look back to move forward. We must think about those things that need to be retained, that need to be kept. They're valuable, and they need to be a part of your future. What are they? I'd like you to think about it. You come up with your own list, but as just a couple of examples, number one, I would say we need to retain an awareness of our foundation, that which has made us who we are today. Some of you have a very wonderful spiritual heritage in this room, right? Like you were raised in beautiful families that love Jesus. Not perfect families, but families that love Jesus. You have a spiritual heritage to hang on to and to move forward with. Maybe some of you have deep relationships with other people that you need to hold on to to move forward. What are those things that help you to stay focused in your life? Are there practices that you engaged in over this last year? Did you do a spiritual retreat and it just deeply impacted you? Or is there a reading that you do every day, almost a mantra that you come into that you want to hold on to to move forward? Those are the kind of things I'm talking about. And as we set our minds on things above and focus our minds on heavenly things and we look back, there are undoubtedly things that we need to retain. But secondly... There are things that must be released. There are things that have to be let go of. There's things from your past that it's time to get rid of. Friends, hear this: It's time to let go of those things that are not of God, that have maybe defined you, that you need to release, that fo- help you focus on godly things. Maybe they're false, false beliefs. Maybe somebody told you when you were younger something so false it's never left you. It's time to let it go and time to focus on heavenly things. Are there false beliefs or false philosophies that you've been holding on to? Is there a false vanity, a pride, an ego that's been getting in the way of who God's called you to be? Are there traditions that it's time to let go of, that it becomes so sacred and entrenched in your life that they have a foothold that maybe they're not God honoring? It's time to let them go. Maybe there's a grip on values in the world that God is calling you to let go. There are things that need to be released. My two application questions for you to consider as we strive together to focus on things above are number one, what are some of the things in your life that need to be retained? And number two, what are some of the things in your life that need to be released? Sankofa, look back to move forward. Now, as we close today, I'd like to close with a prayer. And it's not just um, any prayer. This is actually the prayer of St. Patrick. And earlier this week when we were talking about today's message, I thought, you know what, this prayer just seems perfect as we try to surround ourselves with the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, seeking Christ. And some of you have heard the prayer of St. Patrick before. Maybe this is the first time that you hear it. It's a very popular prayer. And I think you'll understand when you hear it today as I close with this, may it be a blessing to you and to us as a community as we strive together to focus on things above, to be made alive in Christ. Receive this prayer at this time. The prayer of St. Patrick. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray these things. Christ with me. Christ with me. Before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ when I rise. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks. Of me. Christ in every eye that sees me, and Christ in every ear that hears me. May we be reminded today of the ever present Holy Spirit's work in our lives that surrounds all of us in every moment of every day. Thank you, Father, for this prayer. Thank you, Father, for your good word that points us in the direction we ought to go. We pray these things, Lord, with hope and expectation and ask that you would give our beautiful community a great and holy vision as we look back to move forward. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen and amen.